Welcome to the Startup Fashion Week Front Row Podcast, where we give listeners exclusive content inside the crazy world of fashion. My name is Jody Goodfellow, founder and executive producer of Startup Fashion Week, and today we are going to chat with an alumni designer. And if you are someone like me who has a curvy figure, you will definitely appreciate getting to know today's guest, Lalenia, founder of Hourglass Heaven. We're going to chat about the Canadian fashion industry running a small business and how things are going on the West Coast during this pandemic. Hi, Lelania. How are you? Hi, Jody. Um, it's going pretty well. It's a nice sunny day out here today. Really? I'm jealous because here in Toronto, the weather doesn't seem to be able to make up its mind. Today we had sun, we had rain, and then we had snow, and now it's sunny again. <laughs> so oh my. It's, it's really and truly all over the place. Yeah, it's, it's a very interesting time. Um, so I'm jealous that you guys are getting more stabilized weather out there. Um, so at least today. <laughs> yeah, at least today. Exactly. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it keeps changing here too. So um, so first, I want to give our listeners an opportunity to get to know you uh, personally. So, um, and of course, professionally. And, and of course, um, you are a designer. You were an alumni designer with Startup Fashion Week. So I want to talk a little bit about your background. Um, do you have an actual, you know, history in business or um, specific training in fashion? Did you go to school for, for that sort of thing? Or was this more of a passion project that you started, um, you know, in your, during your career? I'd say uh, probably more of a passion project uh, than, um, you know, I didn't go to actual fashion school and train to become a fashion designer. That, that wasn't my background. Um, I did grow up, though, learning to sew. So I did learn to sew when I was a child. Okay. Um, and I remember very distinctly when I was a kid, um, you know, I read Seventeen magazine in Vogue, saw the fashions that I really liked, and you know I really wanted something. And my mom would like take me to fabric store, and you know we'd pick out a pattern, you know the Vogue pattern, and pick out some fabric and be like, "Okay, you're gonna you're gonna make it." Wow! You know, so, okay. so, so I, this was I learned to make clothes mom, as a kid. This was an experience that you and your mom kind of shared together. Um, yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay, and so, so yes. Yeah. She must have known um, some of the skills of the trade as well in order to, you know, encourage you to get to know it as well. So that's pretty neat. Um, it's always nice yeah. to share a common interest with, with your mom. Um, and I'm curious, so at what stage did you decide to actually turn this, you know, passion project into a business? Like, was this an idea that you've had for a long time and it just you know, you maybe just all of a sudden got the right idea um, for how you wanted to position your business. Um, how did that happen? What's the story behind your business? Uh, so it's definitely an idea that I had for a while before I actually did try to turn it into a business. Um, I was thinking about it uh, when I lived actually in Toronto. I was uh, working for a company um, and I had the personal problem of finding good professional clothes to wear. Um, right. I, I worked in the tech industry, so jeans and t-shirts were fine for like a huge part of my career. Uh, but then I got to the point where I actually like needed some, you know, nice suits and nice little black dress to wear to parties. And I needed something that was a little bit fancier. And I had real problems finding clothes that fit me and looked good and were professional. And 
I was in a big city. I was in Toronto. I figured, you know, I should be able to find something like that. Of course, and, you would think there'd be lots of, you know, supply and demand. It's, it's also, you know, a hub for, you know, tech industry. It's a hub for all kinds of businesses. So you would think that there would be lots of options, right? Yeah, yeah, that, that's what I thought. So I was really surprised to find that it was so difficult for me to find uh, options that were good, uh, a good fit for me. But I realized part of the problem was that, you know, I don't necessarily have a typical body shape, you know, hourglass body shapes are fairly rare. Um, you know, the statistics I've seen say that, you know, maybe at most it's maybe 20% of the population. So okay. it's not a large percentage of the population that has that body type. Um, so, you know, conversations I've had with a lot of my customers is, you know, a lot of them, you know, have struggled with this issue, you know, pretty much their whole lives. Right. Um, and a lot of them learn to sew or they get all their stuff tailored or they just wear lots of stretchy things all of the time because it's the only way to get it to fit around the curves. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> I know that all too well myself. Um, so, so you named the business Hourglass Heaven. Um, so where did you come up with that name from? Did it just seem like an obvious fit? Um, or was this something that you played around with? How did you come up with the concept or the name in particular? Um, that's a good question. And I'm not really sure. I know I did consider a number of different names and, um, you know, I did think about it, a lot of things, but I did want to talk specifically about what the brand was about to try yeah. to, you know, describe what the, what the brand was. Cause I didn't feel like it was about me as a fashion designer. You know, I think right. that if I made it a brand about me as a fashion designer, that might be something yeah, you're different. solving a problem, you know, like exactly. you're, you're, you're creating um, a solution for people that have a very similar um, problem. And so you wanted the branding to really communicate that message. And I think that's smart. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think I also wanted to convey to people that um, I think, you know, one of the descriptions I have on my website is that I think that for people that have struggled with this, it will be a relief. It'll be like heaven to have clothes that actually do fit and look great. It'll be this experience you've never had before because, you know, there's you're the sort of person that goes into the dressing room with 12 items and none of them fit. All of oh, them are too big or too small or, you know, buckle strangely and wrinkle and just, they don't look good. Well, yeah. And one of the cool things about that is, um, you know, there are brands that I love and sometimes, you know, I can wear some of the products, but then other times, you know, the way they design them are fit for completely different body shapes. So I think it's very smart to have a brand that's really kind of um, fitting one body shape so that as a customer, you know that, that all the products are going to fit almost the same way. They're going to hug you in the right places, right? So I think that's very smart. Um, and I know, especially for women, because there's so many different shapes, so many different sizes, um, you know, buying, buying clothing can sometimes be a lot of fun, but also really stressful, right? Um, because of that, because of fit. And um, it can be very frustrating. So I think it's really interesting that you've created this brand that really is designed for a very specific fit. Um, so are your products made locally and what is the process like, um, you know, in terms of the way that you source your fabric or, um, other resources in terms of creating, um, the actual end result? 
Yes, so the products are locally made. Um, I do the manufacturing uh, locally here um, within the greater Vancouver area. Um, so I usually work with, you know, some manufacturer that's located somewhere in, in Metro Vancouver. Um, and I've worked with a couple of different manufacturers locally. Uh, for me, the process is that I do the initial design um, and then I generally do work with a pattern maker. Um, I did take training in pattern making just to make sure that I, I knew what I was doing, but I also felt like, sure. you know, being a, a professional company, I figured I should hire a professional person to do that part just to make sure it's good and it's all done, you know, the way it needs to be to go into production to actually be able to, you know, hand off to a manufacturer. Um, and so I do work with a pattern maker that takes those designs, uh, translates them into patterns, um, and then that goes to a manufacturer who does the actual prototyping. We do initially a sample to mm -hmm check the fit and make sure everything's good. Um, hopefully you don't have to do too many samples or too many adjustments um, to the pattern before you actually are ready to actually produce it. Right, um, that's something that I learned, you know, being in this industry and I learned kind of, you know, after the fact, after I got into this industry, because I'm not a designer, um, I'm just, you know, the producer of events for designers. So. Um, so I learned, you know, how much work is really involved in actually just creating the end result for one piece, you know, and um, as a as a business person, you have to find all of those resources, you know, finding a pattern maker. I know in Toronto, um, it's it's very difficult and the community is very exclusive. Nobody likes to let go of their um, contacts, right? And it becomes very challenging. So, you know, like how did you, how long did it take you to kind of find your, you know, resources, to find the people, the right people for your brand? How long was that process? How did, it, how did you approach that? Uh, it definitely did take a while. Um, and I recently had to redo all of that process actually. Okay. Um, so that was actually one of the things that I had the experience of in terms of uh, the impact for me personally, um, in terms of the, the pandemic, um, right. was I had to actually go through a process of trying to refine all those resources again, um, because everything has changed here locally in terms of manufacturing. Um, so I don't know if we want to talk about that now or later, but... <laughs> Yeah, we'll, we'll jump into that in a little bit, for sure, um, because I am curious. Uh, I have all kinds of questions for you with regards to the pandemic also. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we'll definitely jump into that, too, um, in a little bit. Um, so, you know, because I want to I, I wanna really give people a, a solid understanding of really what it takes to be a designer, because I know that, that people really and truly don't realize all of the steps that it takes to actually, you know, not just create one piece, but to create a whole collection. Um, so how long does it take you to actually, from the point of, you know, conception and idea, like creating the idea for your design, how long does it actually take for that to become a sellable product? Mm, that's a good question. And that's also kind of a question of like, are you talking like before the pandemic or after the pandemic? Because the okay. timelines have gotten much They've longer really now. Yeah, they, no, they I'm changed. sure they have. So how about, you know, in, a, in the normal circumstances up until a few weeks ago, how long did that process actually be? A couple months, at least. Really? Okay. Yeah, minimum so you, a couple is months. That, is that partly why you think that um, a lot of brands or a lot of designers have different seasons because it takes so long to create the collection? Is that Absolutely. part of the reason? Okay, so that's interesting yeah. for 
listeners to know who maybe aren't designers and don't really know the behind the scenes um, about what it takes to actually create something. Um, yeah. So it takes a long time and um, it's worth knowing because people just don't simply realize, you know? Um, yeah, because yeah, you're going to take a couple of weeks like working out the design itself to figure out what you want for your design, obviously. Yeah, you know, for sure. And, and picking fabrics, you know, and that's going to take however long or however quick you are honestly sure. as a designer you know doing that sure. design concept what's the idea behind the collection what fabrics do you want to work with what colors do you want to work with you know you you can contemplate that for a while you know yeah what kind, absolutely. Of, what kind of artist are you how long do you want to take thinking about those ideas um yeah. you know you yeah. know but you know if you're quick about it you know maybe you could get that done in a couple of weeks um but then you've got to get the pattern made that's at least a week or so to get the pattern maker to get your pattern together. Um, then you have to get the sample made. How busy is your sample maker? Are they able to do it right away? You know, you know, if you're not doing it personally, you are going to need to work with their timelines as well. And, you know, I work right. with a lot of manufacturers and pattern makers that, you know, they're working with lots of customers and clients. So, yeah, you know, sure. I, I'm on the schedule. You have to test the fit out too, right? Just to make sure that the samples are you know, accurate and everything else. So exactly. Yeah. You, so you have to test those and you know, that's an iteration process. How right. many samples do you do where you do adjustments to the patterns, adjustment to the samples and getting the fabric, you know, getting the fabric in and of itself, you know, that, uh, you know, that depends on whether or not I'm working with, um, I work with two suppliers right now in terms of my fabrics. Um, I've looked at others, but right now I'm working with two suppliers. One is local here to Vancouver. So if I get fabrics from them, it's pretty quick because they have a warehouse here. Um, so if they have it in stock, then, you know, I can usually get that within a week. Um, but the other supplier that I work with is out of Montreal. So they have to ship the fabric. So for their fabrics, it's like a month to get right. the fabrics. So there's a lot so, of layers in terms of logistics, right? Um, absolutely. So it's hard to really kind of have an end goal or an end date for a timeline to figure out when you're going to have a finished product. That must be really frustrating <laughs> because if there's one hiccup, it's like a domino effect, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Any little hiccup along the line just sets you back a, a yeah. long way. For yeah, sure. Absolutely. And how do you determine how many pieces you're going to make in a collection? I'm sure it changes, you know, um, you know, for one collection, you may have, you know, 25 pieces and one collection, you may have eight or 10. How, how do you determine that? Um, I think that's really a decision that you make as a designer. That's, that's really something that you need to look at. Um, for for me, I did take a look at kind of like, you know, did some Google research to figure out like what's typical for, you know, fashion designers, <laughs> how many pieces do they actually put in their collections? Yeah. Um, and so I did find some guidance there in terms of kind of what, what numbers you're looking at um, and kind of at the low end, um, you know, one of the classic collections is seven easy pieces. Yeah. So, you know, you can do a little capsule collection maybe where everything works together and maybe you can do a tiny little collection, uh, you know, more typical is to have something where you're around a dozen uh, looks, you know, where it could be, you know, either a dress or, you know, a top and a bottom piece that are going together. Um, so, but you're looking at probably about a dozen looks. Um, but then, you know, some designers go crazy, you know, and you're right, they have like 25 or 30 different things that they're showing on the runway. Um, yeah. And, you know, make sure you have the budget for all of that. 
because right. that's going to exactly. add up really quick, you know, so that's another yeah, consideration. Exactly. Yeah. How and much course, cash do you have? Yeah, absolutely. As a designer, you have to kind of forecast your budget, right? So um, that's really important as well for people to understand that, you know, when designers are creating, they're, you know, investing up front in everything that they're producing. And so actually I'm curious because that kind of ties into my next question. How do you know how many um, pieces to produce for each size run that you're making? Um, how, like, how can you predict, you know, how many people are going to purchase this particular item in this particular size? That must be so confusing and overwhelming to figure out what you're going to produce and what sizes and, and everything. So how do you determine that? Um, you know, that's, that's a good question. I, for my first production run, I was seriously just kind of throwing darts at the wall. Um, you know, I, I kind of took a look at like, you know, what my size range normal. was yeah. and yeah. I just tried to like guess about how many I would sell of various sizes. And then I just put in an order and just kind of hoped for the best. Um, so that's what I did for my first production run. Um, but I think after that, you can be a lot more kind of intentional about what it is that you get made. Um, and, you know, I think that as you grow as a brand, you're looking a lot more at, you know, what are boutiques ordering from you, you know, and then you can place your orders based on what boutiques are ordering from you. And, you know, that's how it really works in, you know, when you're talking about boutiques is that they're placing their orders in advance. For sure. So you're right. showing your fashions to them, you know, usually a season basically often, or at least several months in advance of when you'll actually deliver the product. Right. Um, so they're placing their orders in the spring for what they're going to get in the fall. You know, this is why we've seen, you know, classically in fashion shows um, that, you know, what's showing in spring isn't necessarily what you'd wear in spring. It's, it's what you'd wear in a different season, you know, and that's why is because you're actually purchasing for many, many months ahead of right. when you'll actually receive the product. Um, so that's how it's traditionally done. And so that's, um, that's something you can look at though, and you can use it as a tool for yeah, absolutely. Kind of planning is, you know, what are your, what are your orders? That's what you're going to produce. Um, but if you're selling direct to customer, then maybe you want to look at made to order. And that's currently what I'm doing is I'm doing most of my styles as made to order. So it's very much an on demand, you know, okay. if customers demand it, I'll make it. Yeah. You know, so it, you're relying a lot on e-commerce um, sales and that sort of thing. Uh, do you work with- Certainly any, now. Yeah, certainly <laughs> now, especially now. <laughs> There's no other option. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so do, have you worked with boutiques in the past and what kind of, you know, pros and cons have you experienced with that? Um, you know, it's interesting. That was something I was just looking at doing just oh, before no. okay. all of this happened. Okay. So I was wow. just beginning actually to approach boutiques, like literally like just before this whole pandemic thing happened. Oh, um, wow. So I, I haven't actually worked with boutiques a whole lot. Okay. Um, I would say that, you know, you know, I, I'm definitely looking at that though, because I do think that there are definitely some pros and cons, you know, I think, um, you know, the pros that I'm looking at is that, you know, they have customers, they have people that may be interested in my, in my fashions and designs. So, you know, that's great, because they already have people that they're connected with that might really like my, my, my Absolutely. designs. Absolutely. So that's, that's a real advantage. And, you know, I will have their assistance of, you know, getting in touch with these customers. Um, so that's a great thing for boutiques. Um, I would say, the most serious disadvantage is the retail markup because it yeah. is 
huge. Um, Absolutely. So, you know, that was something that I had to very intentionally do is I had to change my price points to ensure that there was money there for the retailer because, you know, the retailer has to make money, you know, otherwise they're not going to be interested in carrying your products. So there has to be money there for them. um, And uh, the retail markup is quite significant. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, I've heard that from a lot of designers, actually. Um, and, you know, every every uh, buying situation is also very different. You know, I've heard, you know, good and bad things about working with boutiques. A lot of them work on consignment. A lot of them don't. Um, and then I've heard, you know, pros and cons about working with bigger retailers as well. It's really hard to figure out where the right place is for your brand because every brand is so different and everyone's customer is so different also. So I'm sure that it's, you know, a lot of trial and error, just like everything else in business, a lot of trial and error. And, um, you know, looking at data, once you kind of begin that process and figuring out, is this working? Is it not? What can I do to improve it? How can I change this? Um, So, you know, I'm sure that once things do go back to normal, you'll probably be part of that process of just kind of, you know, uh, observing, right. And figuring things out and what's working, what's not with, with boutiques and and that sort of pathway. Um, so for listeners that, um, maybe aren't aware, we actually met, um, for the first time when, when startup fashion week went out to Vancouver and we hosted our first event, um, out West last year, last August. And we hosted a preview party out there. Um, Of course, we were hoping that would be the introduction for us to host a bigger event this year, which unfortunately isn't going to be happening. We're going to be postponing that until a later time um, because of the pandemic and everything. But but it was wonderful to meet you and meet everybody that, that came out for that event, you know, in the West Coast. And uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, so I'm just curious, like, what were your thoughts when we first came into Vancouver? Um, were you were you thinking at all that, oh, this is interesting, a Toronto event that's coming out west? How is this going to be different from other fashion events? Like, what were your initial thoughts, and and what did you think after the event happened? I thought it was a really interesting event. Um, definitely different uh, than the uh, than the other fashion events that I'd been to. Um, it was a nice kind of small, intimate gathering. So you yeah. got a chance to really see, um, you know, the the few collections that were presented. You got to see them very much up close and personal. Uh, got to have conversations directly with the designers. Uh, so that was nice in the fact that it was a very you know intimate setting where you got to got to talk with people very directly. Um, and it was a great opportunity to talk with a number of people. You know that are connected to the industry, you know, got to have some good conversations with some other designers, uh, got to talk with, you know, some PR and marketing folks that really focus on the fashion industry. So um, it was, it was a good opportunity to just meet and talk with other people in the industry. That's amazing. I'm glad to hear that because that's what we really try to focus on is just, you know, building relationships, building networks, um, you know, particularly for smaller businesses, that's so, so vital and so important. And there's not enough, I guess, platforms around that are successful at really making that, those connections happen in, in, in person. Because of a lot of fashion events, the focus is on the entertainment factor of looking at shows and there's not really much interaction happening. So 
Um, so I'm glad to hear that you were able to make some really good connections out of it. That's wonderful. Um, tell me a little bit more about maybe the, um, the industry in Vancouver. Like, what's going on in the fashion industry out west right now? How is it functioning? Is it, is it really cohesive? Does everybody work together? Does everybody collaborate? Are there a lot of resources working in the fashion industry? What, what, are the, um, what is the climate like right now for the fashion industry in terms of being out west? Um, I would say that I think we're hopeful. Yeah. Um, out in the West. I think that that's where we are. We're hopeful. Um, one of the things that I think was really nice um, was that there was uh, an industry group that uh, took action very early on in the pandemic to get in touch with everybody. Um, so I thought that that was really great. Um, this was the BC Apparel and Gear Association. Oh, okay. Um, and uh, it was interesting because they sent out an email um, very early on uh, basically asking everybody to like reply right away with like, you know, you know, do you have this kind of industrial machine? Do you have this kind of industrial machine? You know, do you have this fabric on hand? Like it was like this list of like all of these different things that they were looking for. Right. Um, and, you know, and they were pretty clear about the fact that, you know, they were looking for resources, you know, for, you know, working with, um, you know, the BC health officials to produce, you know, gowns and masks for healthcare workers, you know, that that's what we were basically being recruited for um, as an industry. <laughs> so, um, so that was interesting. Obviously, quite a shift in terms of focus and oh, you, know, yeah. um, you know people I guess in the fashion industry kind of start stopped what they were doing and kind of pivoted their focus um, to help other people right yeah and um, to contribute in ways that would really make a difference and I think that's amazing I think that's wonderful um, and certainly when I was out west um, I noticed that actually a lot I noticed that people out there just seem to naturally and organically um, have it within their nature to want to collaborate a little more. Um, certainly than what I see in Toronto anyways. Um, it seems like there's just a, an instinct for people to want to work together. And I think that's amazing. I really, really admire that. I think that's wonderful. Um, talking a little bit about the pandemic, I'm curious, like, how has that affected you as a small business? How has that affected you right now? Um, because your business was was mostly um, e-commerce based from what I recall from what I understand um, like what kind of challenges have you gone through um, well, I'd say that there's a, a number of challenges um, yeah. first I would say that my business wasn't e-commerce based actually oh really uh, okay. most of uh, my sales were actually through uh, local markets um, okay. artisan markets and trade shows and things social like that and things like that so, there oh, were okay. social events actually so oh. that's actually a real challenge for me because most of my sales were actually happening at gatherings of 50 people or more <laughs> exactly what's banned right now so uh that's one of the things that i'm really challenged by is right how do I connect with people now? Because that's how I was connecting with people was to yeah. do these local markets um, and local uh, social events. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's been a real challenge for me. Um, there's definitely been other challenges as well. Um, as I mentioned, uh, the pandemic um, did cause for me um, a disruption actually in terms of my supply chain, um, but also my manufacturing as well. Um, sure. What happened with me was that um, in January, actually um, I had um, the manufacturer that I had been working with uh, for the last few years um, approached me and they said that um, they were downsizing um, 
And there has been a problem for a while, actually, in terms of labor shortage locally in Vancouver. So we've had a labor shortage for a while in terms of trained industrial sewers. Um, so that's actually been an issue for growing the industry locally is that we've had a shortage of labor. Right. Um, so that's one of the things that I know that my company, the company I would, had been working with was struggling with. Um, so they made a decision to downsize and they were going to focus on, they said, um, a few customers that were giving them very large orders. So that's, that's what they told me um, that they were going to be doing. Um, so that was sad news because I really relied on them for doing all my manufacturing. So it was sad news to suddenly learn that I was losing my manufacturer. Um, and so that put me off on terms of, uh, you know, going to boutiques because I was like, well, I can't go to boutiques until I figure out how I'm making my products. So hold on, let me figure out how I'm making my products again. Um, I got to redo my supply chain and my manufacturing chain. Um, so, um, so I started looking for a new manufacturer and it was interesting because I had a really hard time finding a new manufacturer for one. Um, this is where I figured out how hard it is actually as a small business um, right. yeah. manufacturer. Um, if you're larger, it's, it's not really a problem. There's a lot of manufacturers um, that do large production runs. So if you're doing production runs of, you know, 300 items or, you know, thousands of items, great, wonderful. There's lots of businesses that will work for you. Um, but if you're doing production runs that are a hundred or less than a hundred, uh, good luck. There's very few manufacturers that are actually willing to work in those numbers. Um, and also those manufacturers that do work in that space, they don't tend to have a lot of machines. Um, and one of the things about my dresses is that they require a lot of different machines. Um, there's there's a serger, there's a flat lock, there's a straight seam. There's a number of different machines involved in it. Um, it even has a blind stitch one. Um, so it's got like at least four different industrial sewing machines that are involved in the production. Um, wow. So that's not something that a lot of places have actually. So I did talk to some manufacturers where they were like, yeah, we'd love to work with you, but we don't have the machines. Oh, so, wow. I had no idea. If so they don't have the machines. Other layer in terms of being able to find uh, manufacturer to work with. That's really frustrating. Yeah, so I need the machines and people that are trained to work on those machines. Of and yeah. those things apparently are both difficult to find in small manufacturing. Hmm. Um, and then the first manufacturer that I found to replace, initially they said, yes, they were going to work with me. Um, and then they came back a week later and they said that they had gotten a big order uh, for doing a lot of covers for airplanes. Um, oh, and wow. okay. that I thought was really strange to hear because doing covers for airplanes isn't something that you would expect to be done locally. Right. That's the sort of thing that you would kind of usually hear being done overseas, actually. So that was kind of like a little bit of a, what's going on here? You know, and I was beginning to hear the news about what was going on in China and I began to put like two and two together and I'm like, Hmm. Like, I think that we're seeing a shift here. Like we're There's going to see. Every, I think every industry is seeing a shift, right? Um, you know, and, and we're seeing a lot of innovation also happening too, which is kind of interesting. Um, yeah. But it's great to see that, you know, people are finding solutions and being creative. Um, but unfortunate for small businesses, um, you know, it means that you're kind of putting a lot of stuff on hold, right? Exactly. Yeah. So I, I did find a new manufacturer to work with. Um, uh, and manufacturers are still open because they are essential services because they're going to be involved in this whole effort course, to make, yeah. you know, gowns sense. and things like that. So, you know, they're going to still continue to function, uh, but they are functioning at reduced staffing. They have to keep distance. Right. So everything is slower now 
in terms of production. So that right. slowed down production significantly. And also um, in terms of supply chain, uh, one of the good examples is zippers. Um, my zippers are from Asia. It's one of the few things that I get from overseas. Uh, they're, uh, it's YKK, you know. Right. They're yeah. really good zippers. Nobody else makes really, really good zippers <laughs> like they do. Um, but they are from overseas. Um, it used to be that it was a couple months to get zippers from them. The last time I asked, they told me it was like five months. Wow. And that's a really long time to wait for zippers. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if I have zippers in stock, you're in luck. But, you know, if you want a custom color, wow, we're talking like a really long time. Yeah, and that must zippers. be hard because you got to obviously plan ahead and think about what materials you're using and, you know, how you're going to coordinate that with the zippers and of course the design and things obviously might change like halfway through you may have to kind of start from scratch because you know there's certain things that aren't available so that must be very very frustrating to to have to work through um, and I imagine you know there's other complications like um, I know some designers here in Toronto have told me that now they have a an overflow of stock because they were prepared like yourself to be selling their 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 stock at, at events and things like that and so they have an overflow of inventory and don't know what to do with it or how to how to make it move <laughs> yeah right? yeah and I was too. yeah totally I've got that I've definitely got inventory I don't know how to move I've got a bunch of it so I'm trying to ramp up the e-commerce we're gonna see yeah. how that goes yeah, yeah. Um, and I also had the a magazine um, that approached me to do a campaign just before the pandemic, um, oh. which I thought was great, wonderful. This is awesome. I'm gonna sign on. Let's let's do this campaign. And then we went into shutdown. And then I'm like, wow, I'm not gonna be able to do that photo shoot that I planned with all the models. Like, what am I gonna do for photography? You yeah. know, so yeah. that's everything. been a real challenge, you know, yeah. how do I do photography now, you know, yeah. and yeah, and that's so important when it comes to fashion and e-commerce, you absolutely need the best, you know, kind of product shots in order to make things move online, right? So yeah, really complicating. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it all got a lot more complicated now. So that's something I've, I've tried to puzzle out. I actually like went online and I bought myself a backdrop and I bought myself a camera. Wow. I'm, I'm going to see what I can do. But like, I know it would be better if I could get like, you know, a professional model and professional photo photographer and all of that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I know also too, I think that I if I remember correctly, I think that your brand also has a sustainability component to it. Is that correct? Oh yeah, for sure. So how does that work exactly? Um, you know, that's interesting. It, it's um, something that I thought about pretty much from the start in terms of my business um, because it's something that was important to me um, just personally that I felt that, you know, I want to, you know, be sustainable. That's something that I personally want to do. You know, I'm the sort of person that recycles, you know, and I yeah. felt like if I'm going to start a business, I'd want my business to be sustainable too. Um, and um, interestingly, I actually had some business training before I started my business that focused on sustainability. Oh, so wow. okay. in that training, I actually learned a very specific model of uh, sustainability that they talked about, um, which is called the C model. Um, it's S-E-E-E. -E -E. Um, what it stands for is social, economic, ethical, 
and environmental. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that this is particularly important because what it's talking about is all different aspects of sustainability. Yeah. Not just looking at one aspect because sustainability is more complex than yeah. you know, just what you make your products out of. It's also, where do you make your products? Who makes your products? Is it a safe work environment? Are you paying them well? You know, there's so many different factors that you're looking at, you know, you, you've got to look at, you know, how do you package your materials? You know, what kind of shipping are you talking about, you know? Yeah. So there's all these different components to it. It's, it's you know, it, it, and that's, that's what this model encourages you to do is it encourages you to kind of, kind of look at all of these different aspects in terms of how it relates to your business. And so you end up kind of working through it in terms of kind of what that means to each and every part of your business from, you know, what you use to pack your materials, you know, what you use, you know, to wrap, how, how you ship it, you know, every aspect of the business, you know. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and I've seen a lot of businesses in fashion really kind of taking a bigger interest in trying to make their brands more sustainable. And it's not easy, that's for sure. Um, because mm -hmm. there's so many complicated layers, like you were explaining, because it's not just about one thing. It's not just about one part of your business, but trying to figure out, you know, how can you make all of it, um, you know, really sustainable. And um, it'll take time, I'm sure, uh, for a lot of businesses to get to a point where they can. Um, but I think it's amazing that you're, you know, at an early stage of business, you're already thinking ahead and you're already trying to implement that into your brand because I think it's also very important to consumers because they're becoming more conscious of, of all these things as well, you know? So I think it's really responsible for business owners to actually take an interest in that as well. Um, and of course, you know, one of the questions that I have for you next actually is um, about the fact that your brand is um, all for women with curves. Um, and I'm curious in terms of marketing, have you ever worked with any influencers, any, any influencers who promote, you know, um, having a curvy figure or anything like that? Or is that something that you're interested in experimenting with? Oh, I'd love to work with some influencers and they, they could be thin and curvy or, you know, big and curvy. I, I'd be happy to work with any kind of curvy influencers because, you know, <laughs> we're going from, you know, all the way down to like size zero and, and yeah. still having curves all the way up to size 26. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think it'd be great uh, to work with uh, with some influencers. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, what other I guess I kind of did in terms of the, the fashion show. Oh yeah, too. Yeah, that's true. Um, we haven't even talked about that actually. I just realized that. Um, so yeah, let's talk about that. So we went from getting to know each other in Vancouver last year in August. And then of course you actually showed your collection in Toronto with startup fashion week. Um, and that took place in October, 2019. So a few months ago. Um, so tell me about that experience. Like that, was that your first fashion week experience showing your collection? Um, like how did you find that experience to be? I'm very curious. Yeah, that was really my first uh, fashion week that I participated in. So that was very interesting to do all the different events for different nights and get a chance to meet with other designers and other people in the industry. Um, so that was a lot of fun for sure. Um, and uh, it was great to meet the models. Um, so I know the model selection 
had yeah, some challenges yeah. because we were doing it remotely from a distance. So it was it was a little challenging to try to do, uh, you know, model selection from afar. Um, but I think we did a great job in getting together a, a group of uh, people to, to model. Um, and yeah, thank you exactly. for, for modeling for have, me as well. Who did you have modeling for you? Do you remember? Um, I know I modeled for you. Um, yeah. But the, you had two other um, amazing yeah. models as well. And one of them yeah. I think was Caroline. Yeah, and, Caroline Cunier. Yeah, and then who else did we have model for you? Um, I think we had someone from Montreal, didn't we? Yeah, we had, we had Montreal Katie. Yes, yes, Katie DiCaprio, yes. Yeah, that's Katie right. DiCaprio. So that's, yeah. a, that's my influencer connection. Right. She <laughs> She's kind of an influencer. And she also has a podcast. She has a podcast called Under the Influencer, which is super awesome. She has a great audience as well on her podcast. Um, yeah, I remember the models. They had a blast. They really enjoyed working with you, and it was a lot of fun. Um, what are your thoughts in terms of the Toronto fashion industry compared to Vancouver fashion industry. Were you here long enough to really get a sense of, you know, what the industry is like here or, um, you know, did you, did you make connections as well while you were here? What were your thoughts on that? Um, well, I definitely got a chance to, you know, talk with the other designers that participated in the show. Um, but I also made an effort to kind of check out the community in Toronto as well. Um, yeah. And I do think there are some great resources in Toronto, mm -hmm. um, like the Toronto Fashion Incubator project um, and some right. of the other incubators that are there. Um, so there's some great shared workspaces, which I think is really cool. Um, yeah. We don't have a whole lot of that out here in Vancouver. Okay. So I'd say that's something that's very different is we don't have any incubators or anything like that out here. Um, right. So kind of different aspects in terms of kind of what we have out in Vancouver versus what you guys have in Toronto. Like I envy what you guys have, but like, but we've got really cool stuff too. Um, yeah. Because we have, because we have apparel camp and apparel oh, camp cool. is awesome. Really? Um, it's, um, yeah, I don't know of many other uh, conferences that are like it. It's an unconference. Um, okay. So it's, uh, you know, people volunteer to present. Um, there's a number of different presenters. Usually there's like three or four different presentations going on at one time. So you kind of pick which topic you're interested in. Um, so I've gone to that for the last couple of years. Um, and it's been a great opportunity to get a chance to meet others in the industry. Um, and they've had some very interesting speakers too. Like last year they had, um, they had Chip Wilson from Lululemon who came and spoke. So wow, that's they've amazing. had some They've had some great speakers. When does that normally take place? Um, normally that's in the fall. Um, okay, so it's it usually happen? that's possible. I think it's likely to happen online this year. Okay, I think so that's probably may, what we're going to look yeah, at. They may have to pivot to online, um, you know, webinars or what have you. Um, yeah. But that's still cool for people to know because if it does go online, then who knows? They may attract new um new people from out of province or out of the city to be able to actually tune in and participate. So that might be an interesting opportunity. You never know. Yeah, because right now it's more of a Pacific Northwest kind of conference. Right. But, yeah. but yeah, if they go online, it could be anybody. Absolutely. Yeah, that's so cool. So there you go. We're doing a little plug for them right now. <laughs> but that's amazing. That's what it's all about. It's about sharing resources and, you know, um, finding new opportunities. So I love, I love being able to do that with other people. Um, uh, so yeah, there's a lot of good organizations out here because there's that group. Um, Vancouver Fashion Week offers a fashion camp every year, okay. uh, which is free for designers. Okay. So cool. if you're a fashion designer out in Vancouver, check out Vancouver Fashion Week Fashion Camp. Oh, there it's, you go. It's, That's it's awesome. great. Um, and um, Apparel Camp does charge, but it's very low cost. It's completely affordable to do. Um, 
And also the Vancouver Sustainable Fashion Designers Group is another great resource to connect with. I found them to be a really nice group of people to talk Absolutely, to. Absolutely, yeah. And, um, and as you mentioned, you know, there is a bit of an emphasis out here with Toronto, uh, with uh, Vancouver Fashion Designers that we do tend to be focused on sustainability. That yeah. is something that is a trend here out in Vancouver is that yeah. most of the designers and uh, clothing brands do tend to go for sustainability. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's awesome. Um, so that's almost the end of our conversation. But be, before I jump into, I'm going to do some fill in the blank questions just for fun. But before I do, I want to ask, is there anything else that you want our listeners to know about you or to know about your brand? Like, where can they, where, what is your website, for example? Where can they shop your brand? And um, what might they be able to look forward to in the future? I mean, I know things are a little uncertain right now, but is there anything that you do know of that, that you can share with people? Uh, sure. Um, so first I'll say where to find us. Um, Hourglass Heaven. .ca um, is the website um, and we're also Hourglass Heaven on uh, Facebook and on Instagram so you can find us there as well. Um, in terms of what to look for in the future, um, I'm looking at face masks like I think everybody is. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I, I think that um, I'm going to take a look next week and mock up some designs. Um, so hopefully I'll be showing that uh, very soon. And uh, if there's interest, you know, then I'll probably go ahead and do some face masks. Um, so that's probably the, the big announcement that I really have right now. Oh, cool. That's amazing. But that's great. I think it's wonderful that, you know, people are looking at, you know, how to be positive and how to pivot their business and, and continue and move forward. So that's really important, I think. Okay, so now I'm gonna ask you some fill in the blank questions. I hope you're ready for it. I'm gonna ask you five quick little questions just to get an opportunity to get to know you a little better. Okay, so are you ready? Yes. Okay, perfect. So my first question for you is, if you could choose any person to wear a piece from your brand, who would it be? I would love to see Oprah in one of my dresses. I'd love to get her to try one on. Oh, Oprah. Yeah, she's perfect. She'd be the perfect person. Um, absolutely. So if there's any listeners out there that have connections to Oprah, uh, send them our way. <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> okay. So next question is fill in the blank. Your favorite hourglass heaven design is? Oh, that would have to be the curl up top. Okay. It, it is so super soft. It's like, I think it's 97% uh, made out of a, a modal that's like beech wood. Okay. It is, it's so incredibly soft. It is so beautiful. That's amazing. I, I'm in love with that top. Okay, good. Um, one word to describe Canadian fashion is? Sustainable. Oh, that's a great word. I love it. Another question for you is something that might surprise our listeners about you is? Oh no, I don't know what to say there either. <laughs> I don't know what kind of surprising information I should give them. Oh, I don't know. We'll, we'll come back to that one or skip that one. Okay, sure. <laughs> um, so... The last put it there. time you supported another creative in the industry was? Oh, that's just recently. I, I, 
I got weak and I, I bought something online. Oh, you did? That's fantastic. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> I, um, I recently uh, got into belly dancing. Um, okay. I started doing belly dance last year um, with an awesome organization. I'll, I'll do a plug for them right now, shimmymob.com. You okay. should go to their website and check it out. Um, they are the largest uh, belly dance flash mob in the world. No and way. they cool. raise um, money um, for local women's shelters okay. and raise awareness about domestic violence. Like that's the focus of the group okay. is, to, is to, to raise awareness, but also raise money for local shelters. Um, and it happens all over the world, hundreds of countries, thousands of participants. Um, and we're going to be doing it this year, um, but it's going to be all online this year because yeah, we're all digital, so, <laughs> so it's going to be all online. Um, but anyway, I got into belly dance last year, um, but I don't really have any belly dance costumes. All I have is like a belt, um, so I don't really have any belly dance costumes. And I ran across this belly dance costume online, and I was just completely in love with it. And it's all handmade. It's, wow. it's beaded. It's beautiful. Um, and I had to think very carefully about buying it because it was not cheap. It was yeah. expensive. Yeah. Um, but, Absolutely. but being someone that designs clothes and thinking about how long it would take me to do that hand beating that I saw that looked so beautiful, I understood why the dress cost the value. Yeah, like I, I understood that it was worth a lot of money. It was not absolutely. a cheap dress. Yeah. Um, oh, that's so neat. So I, I, I splurged actually and I bought it. <laughs> well, there you go. So that is also answering one of the questions, which is um, something that might surprise our listeners is that you take an interest in belly dancing. Yes, I suppose so. <laughs> there we go. That's that's the no answer. I would have predicted that. So <laughs> there we go. Two two questions there. there you answered. Go. You answered two questions. <laughs> that's so funny. Awesome. So thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. I know it's a little more complicated because there is a time difference between where you are in Vancouver and where I am here in Toronto. So it's great to always connect and reconnect um, with our alumni from Startup Fashion Week. Uh, so thank you so much for being on our podcast today. Thank you. I really appreciate the chance to get a chance to talk with you and catch up. Uh, absolutely. And thank you to all of the listeners who um, tuned into this episode and make sure you stay tuned for more. Thank you.